Hey, this is Jeremy from Seattle, and I always listen to Jesse Dolamore at a very low volume because I love the way it makes the hair on the back of my neck feel. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 537 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page. Every day brings new headlines that just absolutely horrify me. I... And I'm not talking about the Daily Mail push notifications that we've joked about Click. before. Yeah. Click. No, I agree. I just, what's funny about you saying that is I have no idea about exactly what you're referencing because there are so many shocking, like, shock the senses, like, holy shit, are you kidding me? Yeah. Kind of things. Which one are you talking about? Well, this one, particular. I mean, now I feel like it's not going to be the most shocking one. Um, it's still pretty shocking, but probably not the most shocking <laughs> one. Still pretty shocking. Um, but this was in the New York Times today. This is the, the title. Their mothers chose donor sperm. The doctors used their own. I saw. Th- I got that push notification from the New York Times. And pretty fucking shocking. Yeah. It, it, it's an article about all of these people who learned... Through DNA tests, right, um, that their biological fathers were actually the doctors that artificially inseminated their mothers. The fertility doctor, not the sperm donor. Right. The fertility doctor who was supposed to utilize the donor sperm that wasn't his. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine, if you will, join me as we walk down the path. You go in. Yeah. You're a lady. You go in to, oh, I'm going to have a little baby. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the, the, the nondescript, they don't have the details of the person, their name or anything. But you, know, you see general IQ, I think they put on there. They, they put like occupation. You look successful. You want some good sperm. You don't want Cletus, the meth head. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you want some good stuff. I, I think a lot of the instances, though, that this is talking about, that wasn't the case. Because we're talking decades ago. Yeah. Like, a lot of oh, these people that right. are taking the DNA test, they are in their 40s. Yeah, so, like, they were born in the in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, and now the technology exists to maybe find out. That's how they're solving all kinds of crimes all over the country, is through people submitting their DNA and linking... To other family members. Yeah, but I'm also saying I don't think it worked like that decades ago where you went into the office and you got a book and it told you all about the possible donors, really? their career, all of that stuff. Because this woman, it focuses on this very strikingly beautiful woman in this article um, who found out that her um, 
actual biological father was the doctor who artificially inseminated her her mother and according to the mother but with his own junk right she went to the doctor and said that she wanted a kid and that he had found one through a sperm bank in california like he found the person oh and then he's like i have I the person i found this person through a sperm bank in california here we go and then it was his yeah and so i i don't know though maybe they did look through a book and then the doctor was like oh yeah i'll get you that one right away you know and then uh, please please with <laughs> and then he goes to bill o'reilly oh god um <laughs> so anyway this is a shocking case i don't know the details but um not just one person has found out that this doctor is now their their biological father i mean according to this article they're saying that this has begun to happen with some regularity people coming forward saying that they were um that their their parent was artificially inseminated by the doctor's sperm, by, and not the actual donor. By this particular doctor? No, you several just, doctors, just, just many doctors. Wide, it's happening like a like a plague. Uh, like it's a thing now. They have been like if you were if you were the product of artificial insemination, you might not be. You might be the product of a doctor who's a fertility doctor. There's one law professor at Indiana University, and she is following more than 20 cases in the United States and abroad, and they have occurred in a dozen states, including Connecticut, Vermont, Idaho, Utah, and Nevada, she said, as well as England, South Africa, Germany, and the Netherlands. Um, Well, let me say this. For those of you who are paranoid about DNA like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, which, by the way, I think is justified. There are some good things coming out of it. These dudes are getting caught. Yes, although the interesting thing about this article, the disturbing thing about this article, is that the reporter would reach out to these doctors, and they wouldn't respond, or they were dead, or they responded or didn't respond and then died shortly thereafter. Because they're all old. Right, right. And I swear to God, reading this article was one of the most frustrating things about my day today. Um, wow. So I had a pretty easy day. That's, um, that's saying something, because you usually have pretty <laughs> remarkably stressful days. But let me just say... One of the things that it wrote here um, that the reporter said, three states have now passed laws criminalizing this conduct, including Texas, which now defines it as a form of sexual assault. Okay. I, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. One frustrating quote that I read was from a lawyer who said, quote, 30 years ago, people looked at things in very different ways. Uh, Fuck off. Fuck off. Okay, and let me let me read this section where it says basically, why would these doctors do this? What explains this? Um, the law professor who has been tracking many of these cases, this is from the article, quote, said that some specialists may simply have thought it was smart business. Frozen sperm was not the recommended medical standard until the late 1980s, and many physicians may not have had ready access to sperm when patients sought help. Then you say, hey... Not my deal. Don't have access. Might not be able to do it unless you want my baby batter. You know what I mean? Fraud. This is fraudulent behavior. If you gave them something they were unsuspecting, it wasn't part of the agreement, 
That's fucking fraud. It's not, oh, hey, man. People were hippy-dippy back then. They just thought about it differently. Nope. The article no. con- the article continued, quote, they could have self-justified their malfeasance in an era of doctor knows best. What What is this? Fucking little house on the prairie? Nope. In their minds, they may just have been helping their patients by increasing their chances of getting pregnant with fresh sperm for higher fertilization rates. But others, she speculated, may have had darker motivations. Hang on. If it was so on the up and up, then why did they not tell them that? Why was it a secret? Why'd they die? Why'd they go to their fucking graves having not revealed that they were the sperm donor? The Come artic- on. The article continues, quote, I would bet a lot of these doctors had power reasons for doing so. Mental health issues, narcissistic issues, or maybe they were attracted to certain women. Ugh. Okay. So. Is that the dick lawyer who's like, well, sometimes people just. No. That's uh, the one who's bringing this to light. Well. <laughs> It's one of the law professors who are tracking these cases. Um, I Reading that was... I don't know how to describe it. It's just... It's so odd to hear somebody try to be like... Um, they may have just been trying to increase the chances that they would get pregnant. You it know? was really a service to society. Like, you know, <laughs> it was it was a time when doctors knew best, right? Look, the, the lady's lucky they didn't just get hit over the head by a club and dragged into a cave. That's what it was like in the 70s. I mean, if it was so commonplace... And just doctors trying to do no harm right. by trying to ensure that their patients got pregnant when they desperately wanted a baby. Well, then it seems like this would be happening far more often, right? Like it would have right. not been a secret. Exactly. They would have been like, hey, listen, uh, best practice here is that I mix my sperm in here just in case to kind of help get things going. You know what I mean? Do you agree to that? And then... If you want to touch it, eh, you know, that's up to you. You don't have to. Yeah. Well, it's, oh, I don't know why I said yeah. I wasn't listening to you, but now I've Shocker. processed it. Okay. Uh, but in this article, Shocker. they they interview different people, and some people are struggling with the laws that say this is a form of sexual assault. And I don't know that I have a problem with it being defined as sexual assault because you are inserting an object into a woman's body. Not even an object. Your DNA. Well, an object with your DNA. Oh, Oh, I guess it does need an object in there. And you're, you're not giving her the full information that she can consent to. Yeah. Um, and you're a fucking doctor, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you are held to a higher standard for your behavior. and Because of the level of trust that is bestowed upon you. Yes, in yeah. society, right? It's like cops. There are certain professions that you need to be on the up and up. Yeah, you go to your doctors in the most vulnerable moments of your life and in the most vulnerable positions. Yeah, you're not a fucking used car salesman. You're a doctor. Yeah, and I mean, we, we're we starting to hear all kinds of stories because of the Me Too movement of doctors behaving badly. No one is immune from this, you know? And that is a scary thought. But like you said, it is good that this is coming to light, that these doctors are being called out, that they're being called by reporters saying, hey, what's going on here? Fess up to what you did. Yeah. Um. 
I think that's a good thing. I feel for the people who took these DNA tests, though, and found these results. Um, one of the women in the article, she thought that she found her dad, a man living in California. This was the one with the mom who uh, thought she had the sperm donor from California. Mm-hmm. And she became close with this man, calls him dad. Um, her children call wow. him call him grandpa. And then she took this DNA test and found out, no, that he's not her biological father. Wow. And that was very upsetting to her, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he was shocked by it, too. They have decided to just ignore that result Cont- and continue exactly. with right. the relationship that they have developed, which is a beautiful outcome. Yeah. But imagine thinking something was the case your whole life, and then you take a test and you discover, Wow. This is not my real parent. You know, just so... Listen. This is the lizard brain talking here. But some people just need the shit beat out of them. You know? I mean, come on. This is not just a violation of trust. This is a physical violation. And they're, they should be held to a higher a fucking standard. Makes me really mad. Well, you would you would have been happy reading the article, given how many of the doctors were dead or died after being contacted by the New York Times. Yeah, but so. everybody dies. Well, I'm just saying. Unless it was like in a fiery crash, then it doesn't really help me out. They didn't tell me how it happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and, and this is this is scary stuff, right? But I think, and the Me Too movement has been criticized in some circles. Uh, as being too yeah. too radical, right? But one of the Sam Harris circles. One of the positive effects of the Me Too movement is these things are coming out. Uh, doctors are probably going to second guess the next time they try to inappropriately wield their power in the room with a patient. Yeah. Like Sarah Silverman recently um, shared her story, right, of her. Um, her gynecologist, I believe, who yeah. is male and just a little, little, little creepy, would perform the breast exam without gloves on. Yeah, that's right. And she let it happen the first time, feeling uncomfortable, but you know, uncomfortable and not knowing what to say, not knowing what to say yeah. to tell him to put a glove on or whatever. And I think the next time it happened, she like said, Hey, are you gonna put a glove on? You know, actually commented on it right um i don't remember the full story i'm completely like fucking this and you're not helping me at all you're just saying I, I don't remember i don't remember the details okay i thought you sent it to me so i thought you would yeah, remember. But i don't remember all the you know whether she walked out i think she just changed doctors did it low-key yeah i think she didn't post his name or anything that's like right that. she didn't but it just goes to show you how even a successful powerful woman even you though have been tit-gazed by a fucking doctor. I have had doctors be inappropriate, absolutely, and made me uncomfortable, so much so that I didn't talk to them about my toenail fungus. And you and you dress pretty <laughs> modestly. It's not like you got it all, like, ugh, you're titillating, you know what I mean? Um, wow. Um, no, I mean, you're not walking in there, like, in club attire. You're in your professional outfit. There's no cleavage hanging out. Mm, I mean, there was some cleavage hanging out. But yeah. That's huh? fine. Just but that, that's fine, though. I When I go into the office... I know. I'm not saying it's not fine. I'm saying you dress on the modest side. Okay, but I don't think having cleavage showing means that I'm... 
I'm immodest. Don't paint me like I'm saying, well, well you were dressed like you wanted. Okay, but that's you not what I'm saying. Yeah, but you don't even need to say any of that, though, right? Because the. No, yeah, that's true. The, that's true. The what happened in that situation is that I walked into a doctor's office. The male doctor walked in and was very clearly having a reaction to me. And we could both tell what was happening. Yeah. And I felt so uncomfortable. Like I said, I couldn't even talk to him about my toenail fungus because I couldn't share that information with him. Okay. Maybe it would have made him stop staring at you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Next time. Next time. Next time. Hey, dude, you should just make up a bunch of maladies. Anyway, the point that I'm, (laughs) Jesus, desperately trying to get to is that even women in positions of power, yeah. like Sarah Silverman, who you look at and you think, look at her, she's so strong and confident and she has money and she can do whatever yeah. she wants to do. She's getting fucked with. And she was getting fucked with and she was still afraid to say something. Yeah. And what the Me Too movement is doing is helping to expose these assholes, but also having people start self-policing <laughs> so that they know... I'm not likely to get away with this anymore. Yeah. I need to kind of get my act together, get in check here, stay it, in it, check. It is one of the benefits of, you know, we've heard people say, oh, I live in fear now that I'm going to get fired. or the There's going to be a claim against me. Yeah, great. Yeah, you know what? Maybe it's a good trade-off because there are dudes out there who are living in fear now who need to be living in fear because of their prior behavior wasn't on the up and up. Well, and I don't want to say, great, they're living in fear. It's just that's what women live with all the time i mean i was walking to my car today before i get to the parking lot i take out my car keys i put everything else away i put my phone in my pocket i hold my bags in such a way that it won't take me a long time to get into the driver's seat and close the driver's door like i'm thinking about strategically how i'm going to get in my car how much time it's going to take and ensuring that i don't look distracted and that i'm not distracted so that i'm not a target and that is how girls are raised that yeah. has been something that i was told ever since i was a yeah, kid it, it's it, it is it's a it's a stark and remarkable difference between today when i left the coffee shop on the way to grand jury right and i wrote a 800 word script on the way there on my <laughs> iphone just oh walking through God. traffic not even paying attention to anything and was not unsafe you didn't even get hit by a car did not get hit by a car <laughs> that is privilege right there it's a it's a good day everybody <laughs> it's a good day oh so anyway, I, I guess we could we could uh, call out to the audience and see what they think about the story, if they've read it or if they have other stories they've heard. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Shall we get to some listener communication? Let's do it. Miss Brittany. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. This is Justin from California. I'm calling in regards to the transubstantiation Catholic pew poll. Uh, I'm not a Catholic, but have studied Christian theology. Uh, it's probably true that a lot of Catholics don't know the specific details in the doctrine, but the question phrasing could have been confusing to Catholics who do understand the doctrine of transubstantiation. Generally, the Catholic Church has used language from Aristotle to describe a division between the substance of something, what it is, and its accidents, or what are its characteristics. For example, a dog might be one color or another, but the substance of the dog is not the same as the dog's color or the dog's accident. If a dog's fur color changes, it remains the substance of a dog. The Catholic Church teaches that while the substance of the bread and wine become the body and blood, the accidents of the bread and wine remain the same. 
Uh, no one in the Catholic Church teaches that the accidents are transformed. That is, uh, that is if you're drinking scientifically material blood and flesh, uh, which is why using words like actually, literally, or physically might be confusing to a Catholic. It would have been more useful to quote specific phrases of the Catholic catechism in the poll. Anyways, hope that clarifies. Bye. <laughs> um, no, no, Justin, that absolutely does not clarify fucking anything. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Does that clarify for you, Brittany? Uh, well, it no. sounds like a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda. But well, it could have been this. It could have been confusing questions. It could have been... Look, the doctrine of the Catholic Church is that the, the, the cat cracker and the wine turns into the blood of Christ and the body of Christ when it goes into your gut. That's the doctrine. Yeah, I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think he's taking issue with, I guess, the way that Pew Research Center phrased their question, because that's the way that Pew Research Center phrased their question based on the teachings of the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I think that you can make all the philosophical arguments that you want about how the language is constructed and what the teachings have been. I think that that gives a little too much credit to most people. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, to shit that they believe is supernatural. I mean... But you can't start applying Aristotelian logic to fucking supernatural things that they, they believe. But here, I mean, here's the most likely scenario, okay? People grow up in a certain situation, and they're taught certain things from a young age, and they accept those things without really analyzing them too much because they are told to them by people that they love and respect and trust. Okay. So they adopt those beliefs yeah, and then they just kind of carry those beliefs with them uncritically throughout their life, never really challenging them in any way until they're forced to, for some reason, maybe they have a crisis of faith, maybe something happens and they get an interest in history or um, interest in religion or other types of religion or atheism, whatever it might be. They okay? stop believing in Santa, you know, they become an adult. So Jesse's... Being a dick. A bit of a dick. Um, we could play the, the, the drop if you'd like, just to remind everybody. That's prick shit, bro. No, not That's that one. Prick shit. Isn't that the one? <laughs> the disclaimer. The disclaimer oh. is what I'm referring to. The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. So I think that's the more likely scenario is tradition. Right. People are taught things at a young age. They accept them uncritically without analyzing them. They continue to regurgitate those beliefs uncritically without analyzing them because they were passed down to them by people they love and respect and trust. And so they never really thought about it or they never really learned what the actual teaching actually is. Yeah, right. Or sure. they haven't thought about it that much. Right. Well, listen, when you mix in the Bible... Most, the vast majority of folks have no fucking idea what's in the Bible. They have no idea the the terrible shit. I've had arguments with your family members, a family member, about if a, 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 a virgin is taken, thrown to the ground and raped, that the rapist must pay her father some cash, and then she has to marry the rapist. I talked about this to a family member of yours, and they denied that that's even in the Bible. Uh, that's in the Bible. I just think most people don't fucking have an understanding. And then when you start mixing in these strange, arcane 
doctrines that really don't have anything to do with scripture, it's, it gets more and more convoluted. Mm-hmm. Well, they're uh, speaking of Pew Research Center, um, and apparently they don't get things right, according to the caller. Pew, 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 pew. Justin, I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you little, little tiny bit of shit there. Um, but they, they had this new Pew Research Center survey, which was designed to measure the public's knowledge about a wide range of religious topics. Uh, did you take this? Uh, I did take it. I missed one. I think I missed two. I, I missed... Um, or three. The Buddhist... The thing about suffering. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the choices was, but that was the one I got wrong. Something about Buddhism. Well, the interesting thing here is that on the 32... Out of the 32 multiple choice questions on the survey, atheists and agnostics get more than half right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty typical, I think. While those who say their religion is nothing in particular get about a third correct. So this means that atheists and agnostics are among the highest scorers on the surveys. Even more than than the actual religious individuals. Yes. Yeah. So that kind of speaks to what you were just talking about related to um, biblical knowledge. Yeah. Um, along with Jews and evangelical Protestants, while those who say their religion is nothing in particular have some of the lowest scores, Americans overall get an average of 14.2 out of 32 questions right. Wow. God damn. And these questions are pretty... Uh, pretty run of the fucking mill. Yeah, I mean, it's like basic religious knowledge, yeah. right? We should um, repost that so people can take it. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, if you're a nerd. <laughs> I'm a nerd. What can I say? <laughs> anyway, Justin, thanks for the call. Hope you don't mind me ribbing you a little bit. It's uh, It's been a long day, and it's kind of a good time sometimes. We do appreciate you, though. <laughs> for sure we do. Taking the time to call in. Taking and the time to, to call 657-464-7609 or, or record a voice memo, which I think he did. I don't know what happened to either one. but Also taking the time to listen to us be wrong about most things yes. as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's quite the feat. For, for toughing it out mm-hmm. with a couple of uh, ding-dongs like uh, Jesse D and, and Brittany P. Yes. All right. Next call. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. I have to pause episode 536 just to send this voice memo oh my god i would hope that you would pause the show while you call in well that would be great to kind of hear it going in the background Yeah, otherwise we're gonna be hearing ourselves me rambling on in the background Uh and then i'm gonna be like oh fuck listen to my voice is that (laughs) what i sound like (laughs) you know what you sound like of course i know what i fucking sound like like a Greek god. <laughs> he actually fucking said it. He said that poem was meant for people from Europe. He admitted it. said it out loud. I hate this administration with every fiber of my being. I don't, I, I don't like saying I hate people, ever. My family tells me all the time, don't say it because it comes back to you. But good lord, what else can I say? What the entire fuck? The refuse and the only people who are meant to be here who are poor are from Europe? Are you fucking kidding me? So you're telling me that if I just came to the U.S. today, that I wouldn't be allowed to stay here because I'm not a refuse from Europe? Fuck him. Fuck Trump. Fuck all of them. Oh my, I am 
Oh my god, I'm so mad. <laughs> what the entire shit? Oh, good lord. Just... Oh! But then when you actually, like, play this for his stupid followers, they will find some way to twist it, to find some dumbass way to justify it. Like, I had a friend, in all honesty, like, she's not going to be my friend any much any longer. She actually said to me, Rubit said to me, that the American, uh, America is, um, made up of white people who are the main course, and culture and different cultures are just the seasoning sprinkled on them. Like, I'm a fucking seasoning, and she's the main course. By the way, she is a white evangelical, just so you know. I am a fucking seasoning. She is the main course. I cannot wait for this country to become a majority minority. I, swear, I cannot wait for it. Oh, fuck these people. <laughs> okay, rant over. Bye. Sometimes that is the public service that we provide to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, let me tell you, Jen from Long Beach, why the fuck are you still connected to that person? I don't want to turn this around on you. Oh, I thought she said she wasn't friends anymore. Oh, I, I, I think she was saying, I, I thought that she's not going to be for long. I'm like, well, that should be, that should have already been the case. Because, I mean, being seasoning is good because seasoning is good. Mm-hmm. But come the fuck on. This isn't a white country for white people. It surely started that way. Absolutely it did. And then we've tricked ourselves, especially white people like me, gr- growing up, tricking ourselves. That, oh, we're a melting pot. And this is really, uh, that's not, it might be that way now, but that's certainly not the way we started. That was not our inception. I often wonder how many dumb things I've said without noticing it, you know? And I'm thinking about that person. I wonder if they know, like, how that landed. Yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm assuming that because Jen is friends with that person, that there is something redeemable about them and something that she appreciates. She had some intrinsic value as a friend. Yeah, in order to form that relationship. But then to say that, I mean... (laughs) Here's, here's what I think happens. That would be a moment for, like, reflective listening. You know, hey, what I heard you say there was yeah. something extremely dickish. And yeah. I'm going to go ahead and check with you. Is that what you meant to say? Did you mean to be a dick so face? So what I'm hearing is... <laughs> was that right? I'm just going to check in with you. I think a lot of people, they have this dream in their head that they're, they're metaphor creators. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm talented with language. And I'm going to create a metaphor that people are going to salivate over. Like, oh, my God, you're so creative. Like I said something in a video about leaving a greasy stain on the on the the fabric of the history of America. Like, I do that kind of as a tongue-in-cheek joke. But I think people really think, oh, my, oh yeah, I want to be able to just off the top of my head come up with creative things that, that will resonate with people. I'm not saying I do that because I don't. But... Look, I'm not making excuses for this lady, mm-hmm. for this person, for this individual, for this super creative, hilarious person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I think, um, like you said, there must have been some motivation for her to be connected in the first place. And if, and if, and if after Jen uh, reflects upon that motivation, what her intrinsic value was, 
Let's put it this way. If your friend's a Trump person, fucking cut him loose. That would be my advice. Well, okay. I think you're kind of getting ahead of yourself because we have a call about this, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, coming up next. How about we do that? Let's do it. <laughs> good, good, uh, good transition, Brett. Hey, Brittany and Jesse. This is Jason from Cottonwood, Arizona. Formerly from Las Vegas, New Mexico. I have recently relocated. Uh, I wanted to hear some feedback from the two of you, and I guess from Popeye as well, and from uh, listeners about how to deal with family who are um, diametrically opposed on many important views and are really aggressive and very asshole-ish about it. Um, A couple of episodes ago, the woman called in about her her boss and his asshole stance on immigration. Many of us have family members that uh, we have the same gap between us and them. And this comes up a little more often around the holidays than it does in the summertime. But I'm dealing with a, a brother and a brother-in-law who they like to run their mouths. And they like to, um, I don't think they'd be very happy even if I came over to their side. But uh, I know a lot of people in the El Paso area, and I'm very upset with what's been going on and not going on in terms of sensible gun laws. And I just want to hear some feedback on how you deal with family members that absolutely do not see a problem nor a reason to solve it. I love the show. Uh, Brittany is the best part, except for the episode where you guys had Chris Hoff on your show, at which point he was the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, a shout out for Dr. Chris Hoff. Yeah, we love Dr. Chris Hoff. Maybe we should have the doctor on again. I would love to have the pressure taken off so that I don't have to be the best part and that he <laughs> could be the best part. That would be a lot of pressure off. Yeah, we love Chris. Um, So... Jason, we are probably not the best people to answer this question. Yeah, and I'm every not. every time this question comes up, we we give that disclaimer. Um, so we will say we would love to hear from the audience on this. And this is something that we've actually been talking about since the election of Donald Trump. And it's come up a lot. Yeah, but it would be interesting to talk about it now as we're moving into the new election season, as we are years into the Donald Trump presidency, how people's relationships have evolved with their family members and whether they've been able to put boundaries and limits in place to not have the discussions so that family dinners aren't a living hell um, or if they've just avoided their families or, you know, what kind of solutions have you guys found? In dealing with this problem. Let me let me say this. And I agree. I'm not the one to answer on this. Because I would... Let me just say what I'm going to say. If, if it is unavoidable that politics are going to come up. Like if you've tried and they've tried and it just... It's going to come up. Or if they're the types who want to fucking stir the pot. Then I think what you need to do... Whether you... you, you you take a piece of paper and you write down a pro and con column. Imagine what your life would be like 
without them in it, if they were just quote-unquote dead to you. And if that is a better, healthier existence because you removed them, then do that. But, and I don't mean do this right after you have a fight with them. Like, take some time. Really reflect on it. And if your life would be poorer not having them in it, then keep them in it and come to some kind of agreement about not bringing up the politics. Um, but, like you, Brittany said at the onset, neither one of she and, or I are, are, are pot committed to our blood. I haven't spoken to my mom in ew, going on two decades. I mean, it's 15 years or so. And uh, that's just what it is. I mean, but I don't advise that for everybody. It would be irresponsible for me to say, I did it. Fucking you can do it too. That, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, that would be stupid. But you definitely need to make an assessment about your health. Are you healthier and happier with them or without them? And then go in that direction, I think. But, and that's why I think a lot of it has to do with setting boundaries and setting limits. If you want to maintain relationships with your family members, then that is a boundary, right? Yeah. You say, listen, this isn't something that we agree on. We have been going in circles about this. We're not changing each other's minds. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. But we maybe need to not talk about this. I, that would be a super mature, didn't come to my mind way of dealing with it. And yeah. I know that that isn't a positive thing to hear for many people, right? It's kind of a privileged conversation to have, right? Um, many people hear that and they think, well, no. Why would you want to have a relationship with a racist? Yeah. Right? Why would you want to have a relationship with someone who's trying to take away the rights of so many groups of people. That's, right? that's where I land for and sure. And that's for sure valid. And, and I understand that perspective. It's an individual choice, you know, and I am not close with my family. There's only one blood relative that I speak to. Um, and, you know, in many ways that has been positive and beneficial in my life, but in no way has it been easy. Uh, so I understand the difficulty here in trying to make these, these decisions about what is healthiest, you know, so I don't, there's no blanket response, you know, I think tossing it out to the audience is a fucking fantastic idea, a grand idea because people think differently. Clearly everybody thinks differently than us and, uh, we could get some, some good feedback. Well, and I want to say that when I was younger and I started abandoning my religious beliefs because I saw religious, <laughs> um, <laughs> good times. The only thing Bill Maher's been good for. And my best friend um, is Mormon. And she had recently converted around that time. Your current best friend of many, 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 many years. Yeah, this was like, you know, when religious, religious came out, whatever year that was. I was, I don't know. And, um, I, I was very unhappy that she was taking part in, in this organization and the Mormon church. Yes. Uh, and it was really the only thing that we fought about. We didn't fight about anything else except for that. 
And one day we just decided, like, listen, uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm going to be Mormon. So I love you, want you in my life, but we can't keep doing this. You know, I'm going to be Mormon. She did that healthy thing. I mean, not being Mormon, but saying we need to not that let this be a that grain of sand that gets in between us and and becomes a a problem. Right. And an irritant. And it's just the reality that that relationship is more important than those arguments and those conversations. Yeah. That's just it. Yeah. A- and so that was my view though, right? Some people might look at that and think, well, I I can't be in a relationship with somebody who is a part of insert political belief, political organization, religious organization here. Okay. That's why it's an individual thing. And we can't say to Jason, yeah, cut out your family. <laughs> I, well, I would never, ever do that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I hope that's not what came across. No. And that that's why I think these conversations are important about what other people have put into practice, what they have done, what conversations they've had yeah. with the people that they love with the people that support them and guide them and make their life what it is, what they have done in order to ensure that those relationships stay healthy for them. Yeah. As they disagree. It, it, it is. I mean, listen, if I was just cutting loose, I would say, if it was me, I'd cut them the fuck off. That's what I would say. However, I'm not going to advise someone to do something that's going to make them less happy than they could be. We should all be striving to be as happy as we can be and if by cutting off family, you're going to be more miserable, that's not the outcome that you want. Also, you never know the effect that you are still having on people, even surreptitiously, right? Through them observing your behavior, observing your posts, observing the things that you say indirectly, right? Yeah. Um, you don't want to discount your presence either and the impact that that can have. Because a lot of people are changing their minds, and you don't see that every day, right? What you see are the proud boys in the streets acting like idiots. Yeah, and, and, that's true. And then you feel like, ugh, no one is changing. Everyone's, you know, yeah, a problem. Um, but there are people who are changing their minds. So if you're out there and you, you're, you're waiting for us to shut the fuck up because you want to call in and give Jason some advice or give him some direction or give him some uh, indication of what you've done, we'd love to hear it. 657 464 7609, I think he would love to hear some voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Thank you, Jason, for the call. We appreciate uh, allowing us to, to reach out to the audience and, and lay this uh, at our feet as a topic. I think it's important. And uh, when people share personal stuff, it's, uh, it's a big deal. We appreciate it very much. All right, last call. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Dell from Kansas again. Uh, real quick, I was listening to episode 535, you guys were playing the clip, uh, with Andrew Yang, just heard a testimonial from a, a woman talking about how her child was shot and her other child witnessed it and Andrew Yang began to cry and weep expressing empathy for this woman's immense loss and imagining his own children in that situation and how he would feel. Um, It made me think, is there any 
video, audio, or testimonials from anyone that has ever seen or witnessed Donald Trump empathetically crying, feeling someone's genuine loss, someone's genuine pain, and him expressing that through his emotions, crying, weeping. I mean, because after the El Paso shooting, he's at the hospital with the victims in. He's throwing thumbs up. And I'm not saying that that's whatever, but you don't really see him expressing any sorrow. Uh, he did seem to carry a sorrow, a sorrowful tone uh, during the official press conference, but there's a pretty good possibility that he was coached to not sound so energetic. Uh, as he usually does. But I was just curious, you know, yeah, I have Google at my own thumbs, but I don't have access to every experience or every video or whatever other people may have seen or known of. Uh, but I was just curious if there's any evidence of him just genuinely being an empathetic, normal human being, expressing genuine sorrow for another person's loss or issue. So... With that being said, Brittany's the best part. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Listen, I've watched... I've watched more footage of Donald Trump than most people. I think I could fairly say that. Mm-hmm. Well, given the time that you spend on your videos over at youtube.com slash dollamore wow a little plug for the for the youtube channel well you know what's weird is someone reached out to you and said that they know someone who listens to the podcast who didn't know that you had a youtube channel yeah that's now that is shocking yeah but if you are one of those people you know what she's not a christian (laughs) that's my response to that not at all (laughs) that does not apply no so listen um, so I, I think I can fairly say and accurately say that I have seen and, and I've, I've dealt with more footage of Donald Trump than your average, you know, ding dong. Um, and I have never seen a genuine emotion, even laughter out of Trump really only comes when at someone else's expense, when he's laughing at them or making fun of them or when someone else makes fun of someone. Even when he laughs, though, have you seen him like crack up, oh, like no. hysterically no. laughing? It's almost like a programmed response. Like, oh, I know how people look when they respond with laughter. I'm going to do that same thing. Listen, I'm not going to put Brittany in a position to to break out the DSM-5 and and do a diagnosis because that's not what you do. Well, you also I wouldn't but be let, able to do that me, just from watching a video. But let me put my somebody. let me put my expert hat on. Um, let me put my expert psychologist hat on. Um Let me put my many years of education to use in the field of psychology. Um <laughs> Well, let me just say this then. I I wouldn't be surprised if he was uh, a sociopath who doesn't have the ability to to feel empathy, to 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 feel sorrow when someone when when 22 people die in a massacre in 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 El Paso. I I just. I, I think Donald Trump is bereft of those kinds of emotions. And I think you kind of have to be a sociopath. And I don't mean the, the textbook diagnosable condition of sociopathy. I mean, uh, 
a dude who just doesn't have emotions, doesn't care about other people, can can step on necks and claw his way to the top over people while abusing them, and he doesn't have a problem with it. That's what I mean by it. And that's Donald Trump to a fucking T. And when we witness him, we watch him, and and even even when he's given a speech of prepared remarks, he can't muster genuine human natural emotion he's just a fucking terrible person so um i will leave the um psychopathy diagnosis to robert Hare. um yeah (laughs) or the psychopathy evaluation to robert Hare. um also because it is unethical to try to armchair it when you've never sat down with a you can't diagnose someone's mental state having never met them yes right yeah uh, of course um but it is funny to watch people do this it was i just get so frustrated like reading the comments about my field online yeah yeah and everybody's an expert there were even comments recently like they're bringing shock therapy back like what no ect has always been around um it used to be much more violent it's not like that anymore it's actually uh, one of the most effective treatments for severe depression. Um, this, by the way, I think would shock a lot of people. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, that it really is a very effective thing. Electroconvulsive therapy. Is that what it's called? Electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, that it really, y- you get a little zap to the temples. It's not you flopping around and putting a belt in your mouth. It's It's a lot more technological now, but it really almost cures people like people who want to just kill themselves are made whole again because of this treatment so it's one of the most effective for severe depression but back to the conversation about donald trump's emotional displays and emotional range blows me away about the ect people i'm gonna gonna sidetrack us i'm just teasing if you if you are interested in this issue i would recommend reading the books that robert Hare has written um h-a-r-e he is the preeminent expert on psychopathy. Yes. Um, so read that. Read those books. One of them is Snakes and Suits. And that is about how psychopaths can... They're attracted to the corporate world. Okay? And they can even thrive there in the beginning. But often there are negative outcomes. So if you are interested in that, you can read about it. Uh, don't read it and then start talking about how Donald Trump's a psychopath, though. Right. Also, um, <laughs> you can't watch Dexter and think you're an expert on psychopaths. Um, just want to be cautious here. But, yeah, we have not seen a wide emotional range from Donald Trump. There was even that recent episode where a woman was in the Oval Office standing right next to him talking about... Um, I can't remember the details again. This is... What is wrong with me? Sarah Silverman's story, the story. <laughs> but she was talking about people who had been killed. And his response was almost like he was being attacked. Oh, and she, like he she, needed, was, she was Yazidi. And he needed to defend himself. Yeah. It was the woman who got the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. That her family were murdered. They were murdered. Yes. They were in a mass grave. And he's like, well, how are they? Where where are they? Let's Yeah, almost uh, like he wasn't how, listening. How did you get Wait, you got a Nobel Peace Prize? How'd you How'd that happen? How'd you get it? Yeah, he wasn't listening. She's talking about horrible tragedy, her family being ripped apart, murdered at the hands of ISIS, and he's worried about other bullshit. 
Yeah, and this is like a foreign thing to me because I watch a commercial about like a kid who's afraid to go to kindergarten getting on the school bus and I break down crying, right. you know. Um, so yeah. it's a foreign concept to me, but we haven't seen that wide emotional d- display and even not with the laughter, though. So something tells me that throughout his life, he maybe has viewed this as a weakness and maybe it's a loss of control. You know, like how Popeye, when he's eating his food, is still like hypervigilant and he like looks around and if there's a shadow, he like stops eating because he feels vulnerable <laughs> when he's eating, you know? Yeah, It's yeah. kind of like that. Like Where, how I feel when I'm pooping. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> when you start laughing hysterically, your guard is down a little bit. You, um, he also is very concerned about how he looks. Right, that and those plays chomp, a role. those chompers of his, it's not a good scene, so... You know, maybe he shows his teeth in a way he doesn't like. There are, this is awesome, there are a bunch of different things I've never even thought about that could lend themselves as an explanation for why he doesn't display. He's also obsessed with the very traditional masculine view of men. Yeah. Like the John Wayne yeah. type man. Donald right? Trump. And well, there's <laughs> montages that like Vice has put together of him talking about big strong men. Yeah. Like he's very interested in big strong men and men who are masculine and yeah, i think traditionally masculine and i think to him that means um like also not showing emotion you have to be stoic yeah. all the time yeah but it's not even for me those are all awesome very very great possibilities but for me it's when you go into a hospital where people have just died one of the the most tragic. Don't come massacres. at me like I'm defending. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not saying that. I think the, all that is great. But what resonates with me, I'm saying, don't get defensive. Okay. Well, don't come for me. I'm, I'm coming not... for you. You're gonna get taken down. I'm taking you down. I can't remember the the like YouTube videos. Take down. What are the other ones? Destroy. Destroy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but. When when you're in when you're in an environment like that, one of the most uh, devastating massacres in the history of our country, and you're flashing your fucking pearly whites and throwing up the the goddamn thumbs up. I mean, that's there is something not balanced about that. That's not a normal reaction. There's never sorrow. There's never genuine sorrow and showing sorrow or tempering your emotions to match the atmosphere around you isn't isn't not masculine it's just fucking human we're not i'm not I'm lo- not looking for buckets of tears from donald trump i just want you know, like a normal like a not a robot i understand but you're also talking about someone who when asked what features his newborn daughter had of his wife he talked about her tits yeah, yeah. so no, for sure you know what right. i mean like yeah. I, I what do you and ivanka have in common well we both like sex yeah i mean this is just not a normal dude so you're you're trying to <laughs> assess him with your very normal parameters and he falls outside of that and he always has and i think most of it stems from the bubble in which he was raised you know you think about being a millionaire before you're even 10 you know what i'm saying and the level of protection that you are afforded in that cushy existence and how you can't really be touched by tragedy you know, I yeah. mean, and that's not to say that rich people can't experience tragedy. Of course they can. But I think Donald Trump largely was insulated from all of that. And if he wasn't, I'd love to hear him talk about it. 
right? His personal experiences with tragedy. We've never heard that. We haven't heard weaknesses. We haven't heard... Even, he doesn't even talk um, about his brother who died of alcoholism. No, he's very closed off, right? Yeah. And everything is the greatest, and he's the best at everything, and he's the smartest guy, and it's he's always been so cool. Tremendous. And so, so we haven't... Believe me. We don't know what he really has going on, but what he shows us is... It's not good. It is not good. Yeah. All right. Moving on, and then we're going to end the show and these topics that we have left. We're going to talk about tomorrow. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We would like to thank our beautiful and awesome Patreon supporters who uh, upped their pledge. Yes. The first one is Jason. Jason. Jason doubled his pledge. Jason. And then we also have George. George. George more than doubled his pledge. Super great. And then we have a new Patreon supporter, Genevieve. Genevieve! Now, we did get a tweet um, from one of our listeners, and they received their stickers. We sent out a large batch of stickers, and so that one made it to, I believe, the United Kingdom, I think. Why is it that people don't like to take pictures of the stickers? I Why is it Americans don't like to take pictures with their <laughs> stickers? All of the people outside of the United States love to show off where they got where they're putting their sticker. Mm-hmm. England, yes, um, that is where the listener is from, and um, it says switches on t- Twitter. So uh, not sure about the actual name there, but thank you for sharing your photo of your stickers and how they ended up on the back of your computer yes. and on the back of your tablet, you said. Yes. Um, so we really appreciate that. If you did receive your stickers, we would love to see where they ended up. So please tweet them to us at Brittany E. Page, at Dollamore, at I Doubt It Podcast. Please like us on Facebook, I Doubt It with Dollamore Podcast. And thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So, listen, I'm going to forego playing the Dollamocracy drop because there's only one story that I'm going to talk about. Actually, yeah, fuck it. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Let's talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been... Beset on all sides by mistakes that uh, gaffes of his own making. Whether it be talking about Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King or whatever being assassinated in the 70s, dash the late 70s, obviously that happened in the late 60s, or, or you know, saying that the, the shootings in, in El Paso and um, Dayton, Ohio were in uh, Houston and Michigan. Or whether it be talking about how he was vice president when the Parkland shooting happened. And he remembers vividly those kids coming to see him when he was vice president. It just, it seems that Joe is either overworked right now and, you know, um, not thinking clearly. Or, you know, maybe his age. 
something happens when you get old. I will also say he's not grinding it out like some of the other candidates. No, he's not. And they're they're purposely keeping him from the campaign trail. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know about that. I don't have any insider no, information. That is what they're doing. Okay, but uh, he is not out there as much as like let's say Elizabeth Warren, for example. Yeah. Right. So this is happening very often with these gaffes and he's not out there as much as other candidates are. Yeah. So that is also concerning. I have heard some people say, listen, this is being blown out of proportion. If you go out and you speak in public, you're going to say things that are incorrect. You're going to misremember things. You're going to run into this. I think that that's fair. Although, you know, that would be particularly true of me. Someone who hasn't been in the public eye for decades. Yeah. Uh, a little less true, I think, for Joe Biden because he's been in the public eye for decades. Yeah. The other thing is you get you get you, you do a, a stump speech that you just it's every stop. You're telling the same stories. Joe Biden's a little freewheeling with what he does. He's very Trump like in that way. And so it's going to lead him in, into a situation where he's bound to say something that's fucking wrong because every time is different. He's reacting to people differently. You know, he's 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 playing it off the, uh, you know, from the hip. But I'm going to play some audio here from Fox News, very briefly from Fox News. Peter Ducey. Lucky enough to have a father named Steve Ducey, who's one of the ding-dongs on Fox and Friends. And he's an anchor now, or he's not an anchor. He's a, he's a reporter out on the com- campaign trail. And um, I'm playing this because of the audio of Joe Biden who really, if you just read a transcript of it, I tell you what, you tell me. Listen to the words that Joe Biden speaks and then read it through with no voice in your head as the written word and tell me who would say this thing. Biden's first event of the afternoon was at a smaller venue, but there was still room in the back. So I had a chance to ask him what he thinks when he sees a more progressive primary candidate like Elizabeth Warren on TV with a crowd in the thousands. No, it depends on what the nature of the event is. What I'm trying to do is go around from town to town and I'm drawing as bigger crowds or bigger than anybody. Have you seen anybody draw bigger crowds than me here in the state? Yes. Well, you have. Where? In Des Moines. In Des Moines. In Des Moines. And the former vice president didn't seem to like that because a few minutes later, he singled me out to say he thought I was going to be unfair to him no matter what, but that he can handle it because he's a big boy. Brett? Peter Ducey live near the Field of Dreams. Peter, thanks. So everything that the dipshit Peter Ducey just said can be chalked up to him trying to be insert himself, shoehorn himself in, into the story. Absolutely. He's not part of the story. Yeah. But it is troubling, I believe, that you listen to Joe Biden and he sounds exactly like Donald Trump. Oh, the biggest crowds. I got the biggest crowds. Nobody's got bigger crowds than me. I'm traveling state. All the crowds, all the people, the greatest. That's. For me, that's troubling. I don't know if if, if Joe is your candidate or not, but for me, that's troubling. It's troubling that Joe Biden is resistant to apologizing for anything. Just like Donald Trump. It's almost like he wants to be the Democratic version, which means he's got a heart, which means he's got a soul. But there's a lot of characteristics, and maybe it's the generation, but there's a lot of characteristics of Donald Trump that are embodied by Joe Biden. And I don't think that's a winning formula.
it's it's just remarkable because this doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can we not start the dick measuring contest? Can we? Can we just not? Can we not? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're asking me. Yes. Yes. I think we should Good. not start it. Good. I think it's started, but we need to end it. Okay. By maybe having Elizabeth Warren or Bernie or someone more. Less machismo, man. Come talk, on. Let's talk about other things that are important and not crowd sizes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. I think we're going to end the show there. That We do have a couple other topics. I've got the Greenland thing that I want to talk about. And then, obviously, we want to talk about the go- Donald Trump being the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, the, the chosen one, the, the second coming of God. We're going to talk about all of that. It is kind of good, though, because I think this Greenland story is developing. I think something's going to pop off tomorrow, as well as with the other thing. And then we're going to have more to talk about. So, in the meantime, call in. Let us know what you think about those two topics or anything else we talked about today. 657-464-7609. Of course, email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. This has been I Doubt It. If you want to touch it, eh, you know, that's up to you. You don't have to. 